I have to say, this is always what I wonder about, you know, especially like ancient documents. Can you imagine if in 2,000 years' time, <laughs> just free, the only insight into the like, planet of English, the apes, English, pop, yeah, English <laughs> popular culture was the AV Forum podcast? <laughs> like, um, yeah. Imagine <laughs> it, if they built a religion around it. <laughs> yeah. It was Brilliant. a strange time. So, yeah. <laughs> Without without tired, we can't even bother be bothered to finish sentences. <laughs> it's going to be an amazing podcast. Dust off the tumbleweed, someone. <laughs> or maybe you need one Part of those. Part two. EC, you need one of those ECG machines just flatlining. <laughs> <laughs> it's free. It's not like they got to pay for this. <laughs> oh, there's my intro. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 1st of October 2014 and joining me on this edition are assistant editor Steve Withers Get busy living or get busy dying Games editor Mark Botwright Damn near worn down to the nub And reviewer Ed Selly Same old shit, different day Welcome back to the big, wide, wonderful world of the AV Forums podcast. It's like a lifelong prison sentence, listeners. We are here again this week, and uh, it seems that the AV industry is uh, is on go slow at the minute uh, when it comes to news and new information in general being announced. Absolutely nothing recently, so... Um, let's kick off the podcast with some competition. Steve, uh, what can our listeners win? Uh, hang on, Phil. <laughs> My running order gone. I don't know. We, do you Are we going to play the music from the old Tony Hart competitions over the back of this? <laughs> we can't send your entries back to you. <laughs> oh, there it is. Wrong place. No, that's not it. Did we manage to get a minute's worth of good material before this happened? <laughs> we are so on the ball. Right, do you want to ask me that question again? No, because I can just edit in the answer. <laughs> what was the question? Uh, well, you can win the Danny Boyle collection on Blu-ray which includes 127 Hours uh, Sunshine which is a film I've got to say that I didn't like when I first saw it but now I really like Slumdog Millionaire and 28 Days Later I'm not sure how good that one's going to look on Blu-ray that, though because it was shot on standard def TV wasn't it but, but that's not the Danny Boyle collection where's Shadow Grave and Trainspot well yeah obviously it's the Danny Boyle recent films collection um, but uh, no they're all good movies nothing wrong with any of those films um, obviously won the Oscar for Slumdog Billionaire. So, That's uh, right, Steve. Sell the sizzle. Nothing wrong with any of those films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a prize. And one Oscar. of them might not look great. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, please yeah. enter. Other than that, yeah. it, it's you free. It's free to enter, so you may as well. Basically, if you want to watch a zombie film where no one gets called a zombie and they run around really fast 20 days later, if you want to watch a film where a guy has to cut off his own arm in 27 hours, Sunshine, where they have to restart the sun with a massive nuclear bomb, that's going to happen. And Slumdog Millionaire, which is kind of like um, uh, um, a Westerner's view of being Indian. <laughs> anyway, that's Move one over, prize. Cosmo Landsman. <laughs> uh, the other prize is Azure Tomorrow, which is the new Tom Cruise movie where um, basically he keeps, uh, it's a bit like playing a video game. He dies and, and, and resets. 
Um, and I have to say, I saw it at the cinema and really enjoyed it. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was one of the most uh, enjoyable films I've seen this year and certainly one of the most underrated. And unfortunately, it didn't do very well at the box office, but it was significantly better than a lot of other films that did do well uh, and is worth checking out. So that's a good prize. And does then Maleficent. Does have Emily Blunt in it, doesn't it? It does have Emily Blunt in it, yes. Well, it's worth it for that on its own. Fair point. And it's free. Yeah, and, well, yeah, well. free. and finally, Maleficent with Anthony Jolie, where she plays the villain from Sleeping Beauty. And again, I saw that at the cinema and I have to say, quite enjoyed it. Uh, it sort of tells the story from a very different perspective, i.e. from the perspective of Maleficent herself. But um, uh, I thought Jolie was absolutely superb in it. Um, I mean, just perfect casting. Really, and she looked incredible in the makeup and everything. So um, that's some pretty good prizes there, in my opinion. Yeah, and dead easy uh, to win those because the, the, the answers to the questions can be found on the website. You just have to click around and uh, you'll find the answers. So there you go. That's it. Competitions that we've got running at the moment. Let's give us a sec. Are you entering, Phil? Is that what you're doing? People <laughs> <laughs> who work for the site. Can't unfortunately, uh, yeah, I, I can't. I'm an employee. Yeah. Oh, what can you add, by the way? What, with the same level of enthusiasm in the world? Well, at least we're honest, dear listener. You know what I mean? You know, at least you know when you read our reviews that we are being honest about what we say in our reviews because, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think we could be falsely positive about anything, Steve, could we? <laughs> Well, right. like I said, I, have, I mean, there's some good films there. I'd be happy to win them. Good for you. Right, let's move on. Highlights uh, of September, because it is a new month. We are into October. Uh, only three months and six days to go until uh, we head off to CES, Steve. God. Uh, are you looking forward yes. to it? Yeah. yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. Right, but September did see uh, IFA. Uh, 2014. Uh, the one year, Ed. I don't think you have been to IFA this year, did you? No, I didn't. I didn't make it out. Um, as I understand it, I missed a lot of curved televisions. So whether I missed anything at all is, is hard to say. Yeah, Although you know me, I, I miss the white goods and the the, the the achingly lovely German models just making cake. <laughs> you know, and the surrealism of the Karcher pressure washer stand. Maybe I'm just not on message enough to go for anyone to show, to spend out for me to go for Aoife when, when, when those are my highlights. Yeah, but uh, interesting you did say curved TVs because there was a hell of a lot of them. It looks like Samsung have started another trend. They started the whole LED TV, although it's not an LED TV trend. They've now started the curved TV trend. Everybody following suit on that one. Um, should only really have been OLED TVs that have the curve, Steve, because it makes sense on that technology. But it seems to be everything's curved now, and um, even the stands are curved, and speakers are now being curved. Yeah, it's uh, it's curvilicious these days, isn't it, as far as AV kit goes? Um, I think we discussed this uh, at length last week. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think ultimately I'm getting to the conclusion it's, it's a matter of personal preference, isn't it? If you like curves, yeah. fantastic. I like curves in certain aspects, not necessarily on TVs. But um, boom, 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 Tish. Thank you. I'll be all week. Try the veal. You know, uh, if you like them, great. If you don't, well, there are flat TVs available. So go for those instead. Uh, so, yeah, curved TVs everywhere. Lots of 4K TVs. Um, and for the first time, Steve, a bit of 4K confirmation when it comes to content in terms of Blu-ray. Although we had that confirmation and now it's gone completely deadly silent again. Yeah, it was a bit of um I was expecting a bit more fanfare and it was kind of like announced to a few journos in a press room. <laughs> Uh, very discreetly, so it was it was it was hardly um, um, considered big news, but it was good to hear that they were at least saying yes, we are going to do it. Yes, we are going to see players next year. Whether we'll see any content to go with it is another issue entirely. But certainly, 4K Blu-ray is coming um, in about a year's time, which is 
great news if you're you know a, a fan of 4K but want something you know perhaps slightly more higher spec than just um, streaming. Obviously, we're now at the end of the month and we've had all the news and uh, there's nothing to talk about come the end of the month. But it has fakes not in everyone. Sorry. Hang on, hang on a second. <laughs> Did you not learn this from last week's podcast? Yeah, I forgot to mute me while you're talking. You just don't appreciate how much cocaine it takes to get with us to a normal day. <laughs> <laughs> if that was his review of the Danny Boyle collection on coke, I'd hate to hear it before him. <laughs> <laughs> the level of enthusiasm. He can't do sentences without it, didn't you know? It's like John Belushi circa 1980. <laughs> He's got to have it pumped straight straight into him, otherwise he can't function at all. Really. I imagine him having like a mask like Bane. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were in banking, Steve. I mean, you, they must have been wall-to-wall powdered self-esteem. I, I, I can't comment. <laughs> Which means yes, yes, it was. You might think that I couldn't possibly comment. Eva in Germany, a big show, lots of nice big uh, news stories, which we've all covered in great deal of depth in other podcasts. But basically, uh, 4K Blu-ray announced. Sony had a new 4K projector, five grand price mark, which is. Uh, unheard of uh, lots of curved TVs lots of 4K TVs and it's all building up nicely for CES in January isn't it Steve? Uh, yeah I, I think um, well I'm, I hope there'll be some surprises at CES although to be perfectly honest uh, unless there's some OLED news um, it's looking like more curves more 4K um, and that'd be about it <laughs> maybe some more more smart TV features I suppose I, I don't know I mean can you think of anything else that's in the pipeline that might sort of break at CES our boredom levels <laughs> uh, interesting you said OLED because um, at the time of recording you are going for a briefing tomorrow which mm -hmm. and it hasn't been cancelled yet so nope. it must still be happening um we won't go into any great details, but it is a briefing about OLED and it could highlight the roadmap for the next few months ahead with that technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, fingers crossed we get some interesting news about OLED tomorrow, which obviously we'll talk about at length at the next in the next podcast. And, uh, and there'll be a piece up on the site, uh, I guess, on the day this podcast goes up, actually, on the Wednesday. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get some interesting news on OLED. I mean, I still think there's potential there. It's just that, um, it's largely being pushed by a single manufacturer at the moment. But um, fingers crossed we'll see a lot more OLED action at CES. Hopefully. Right. OK, like I said, we're into a new month. It is October. Uh, so we have a whole new lineup of product waiting to be reviewed. So let's go Ed first. Ed. What do you have coming in the next month? Uh, lots from me, mainly because obviously my unique and entirely shambolic work schedule means everything is piled into the end. But um, over the next few weeks, you are going to see the brand new Grado SR-225E. And I don't doubt that you'll look at the photos and go, they're not new at all. They look like all the Grados I've ever seen before, and you'd be entirely right. Literally every single part of them has been changed, updated and tweaked, despite the fact they look like they escaped from the 1950s. So that's going to be appearing. Uh, Monitor Audio have uh, decided to take a break from speakers and they've built a Class AB streaming airplay amplifier, which uh, is uh, currently sat in front of me. Uh, and uh, it might look a bit odd, 
but uh, actually it's it, it's it's quite something so uh, hopefully that'll be a review worth checking out and then um we also have uh, one of the brand new um and rather radical name muso systems uh it's names first ever all in one by which i mean not just the electronics in one box it's got the speakers in there as well um it's the least expensive product um it's the first one not made in salisbury it's a very very uh, we, we overuse bold in the context of, of audio products. Most things are, it's just a new audio product. This is actually quite a big departure for them. Um, it's a, it's a, a te- technically interesting product. It's quite a bold product. So um, that uh, promises to be quite a, a good review. And just for you, Phil, I've actually got one stuck in my ear at the moment so I can monitor the podcast. I've got a pair of earphones in the pipeline because, um, well, you know, we did the £600 Sennheiser IE800s, and I can remember you going, who on earth would spend £600 on a pair of earphones? Well, the question this time out is, who on earth is going to spend £999 on a pair of earphones? So uh, that's to come as well. Unfortunately, I can't tell you a brand yet. That's under embargo. But just, just, just throw the idea of spending, four, as near as it makes no difference, a bag of sand on a pair of earphones dramatic pause I think it was too much enthusiasm <laughs> uh, Grados sound very much like uh, the Porsche 911 of, uh, there's, of there's a, a distinct element of that but I would argue that Grado is even more concerned. I mean the 911 it does change it just stays the same shape Grados just don't change you, you can't actually say they have retro styling because they didn't set out to make them retro. They, they looked like that from the start, and they just still look like that, you know, and you either like it or you don't. But um, I would say that the, the, this E-Series, e the, uh, the latest revision, there's, there's a, there are a lot of changes to them un- under the hood. And, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's quite, quite, quite an interesting step forward. It's nice to hear enthusiasm in your voice, Ed. You, you, you're obviously happy about your lot this month. I'm doing what I can, um, and um, I'm sure that um, additional to the reviews, um, I'll think of something to write about as an article. Um, what that is, uh, I don't yet know, uh, but it'll be something. Um, it, it'll undoubtedly be immense. Okay, and if, en- <laughs> if anybody has suggestions, then you can tweet us at AV Forums, hashtag what, what the f*** should Ed write. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we keep the quality up. <laughs> We're crowdsourcing our ideas. This isn't just thrown together, folks. This is well planned. This is M and S thrown together, <laughs> or is it S and M thrown together? Right. Or AVF thrown together. Spears and Munsell. Steve, that was actually quite funny. <laughs> uh, there's no need to walk. Out. The door <laughs> creaking in the background. <laughs> Sorry, that was me. He's, he's sneaking out. Ed. No, 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 no. First beer of the afternoon, is it? <laughs> I'd love to, but I have to collect my son. From, I have to collect my son from baby group in a bit, so uh, it's probably best not to turn up smelling of beer. They, they tend to notice. Yeah, yeah, that's frowned upon, definitely. Yeah, right. Uh, we haven't got anything from Mark here. What's coming up, games wise, in the next month? Coming up in the next month. Yeah. Um, when short, I haven't sent out the orders for next month yet, so it could be anything. It could literally be anything. Again, if you'd like to make suggestions, <laughs> then tweet us at AV Forums with the hashtag What Should the Games Team Do? That work? Yeah, why not? Can I just say, I did actually, re- uh, as a technical concept, 
I really liked the um, the rolling updates to Destiny review process. Um, I, I'm not going to pretend as someone who's quite a long time out of computer games that I understood all of it, but I just liked rather than piling through as much of the game as you can and then ultimately only giving a snapshot from a single piece. I, I thought there's much more. I, I know we're not supposed to use we're not supposed to use the word in reviewing, but I think it it, it it works here. There's much more insight into what the game actually does. Oh, you didn't use that word. I did because I, think I you can say in, insight in this context. It's not. Using I think in this context, audios. insight is is correct. Yeah, and I I I think that that was a fine idea. Uh, was it Mr. Carter that did it? And no, that him. was Leon. Okay, well that shows how Leon much attention Matthews. I was paying, paying to the details. <laughs> well, sorry, Leon, I thought it was—I thought it was really quite quite impressive. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to you doing it to Angry Birds. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he enjoyed—he he seemed to enjoy writing it that way, and it, it it suited the game. So it's definitely something that we're kind of looking at, possibly doing more of in the future because it, it it's certainly it's. It's a way to get across how you slowly get into a game and where you are at a given point because it too often I think with with certain games if they're supposed to have a kind of long tail to them you can kind of get bogged down in the early few hours and feel that you're not kind of seeing the same game that someone's reviewing and giving a, a you know a glowing score or something like that so it's it's a, it's a different way of looking at it definitely if you'd like to see more of that please write in <laughs> <laughs> on a go. postcard on a postcard, yeah. oh, that's so 20th century. Yeah, games team doesn't do email. <laughs> or, or Twitter. <laughs> uh, right, Yamaha, their first, is it their first Atmos receiver? That well, they've got two. At? They've got the um, the one that Ed's currently got. Yes. 3040. I've yeah. got the 3040. Yeah, yeah, and I've just got the uh, RXA 2040. Um, these are both going to be um, Atmos-enabled receivers. They're not quite just yet. The software upgrade is due, I believe, this week. Mm. Um, I have, will be getting my copy of, unfortunately, Transformers, the first Blu-ray with um, with an Atmos soundtrack uh, at some point this week. Uh, it was actually released in the States uh, on, tw- on the 30th of September. Um, mine was shipped last week, so I should be getting it any day. Uh, and I'm in the process of sticking speakers on the ceiling. So hopefully next week I'll be able to um, to do the first full hands-on Atmos you know, uh, review of an Atmos receiver. You make um, it sound so blue, Peter. I'm just sticking speakers to my ceiling. <laughs> You've got your sticky black yeah, plastic it, out. <laughs> uh, sadly, Ed, that is almost exactly how I'm getting it up there. So uh, <laughs> if I'm killed by a falling speaker, the irony won't be lost on me. Righty. Okay, fair enough. Well, you you will be, I'll say, fondly missed. Maybe a lie, but you'll say just as a record, you'll be fondly missed. But uh, yeah, hopefully we should uh, very soon be able to actually um, do a full on. Are you, are you planning on um, jay-rigging some speakers on the ceiling for the 3040? Um, I'd be lying if I said it was an immediate priority. <laughs> um, I've got to put an enormous... There's so much work that needs doing to this lounge because the, the the whole idea is that both the AV and the two-channel systems are going to be in here. Um, but regrettably, I lost a couple of days last week um, for family reasons. That's why I wasn't on last week's podcast. Um, and there's just a stupid amount to do. Uh, and I just that that's with the existing equipment, let alone adding more to the ceiling. But we'll see, we'll see. Um, I guess 
I think it's going to be predicated, Steve, on there being more films available than Transformers: Age of Extinction. I'm just throwing that out there as well. I'm not. I'm not going to the hassle for a Transformers film. I, I saw somebody had written on uh, on Twitter that they had a Dolby Atmos demo disc and it had no film clips on it. <laughs> well, what's on it then? Just um, some music. Trailers. Some music track. <laughs> oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh, right. So, so that's a massive waste of time. Then. So. So it doesn't really bode well for the the big onslaught of Blu-ray releases that are going to be in Dolby Atmos, but we'll wait and see. Um, other equipment that you have in, Steve, uh, Optoma HD36 projector. Yeah, that's just arrived as well. Um, it's another one. of Optoma have been releasing quite a few uh, what we would call budget projectors recently. Um, they did the HD50, which I reviewed a few months ago, and that was about £1,000. And then we just reviewed the HD26, which is around the 600 quid mark. And now we've got the 36, which is sort of between the two. Um, yeah, I mean, single chip DLP uh, and um, a fairly attractive price point. So I haven't had a chance to put it through its paces yet, but uh, that should be coming up uh, this week. And Stone the Crows, I'm actually reviewing something this month. Uh, Easy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Calm down. Calm down. Uh, Epson have sent me through the TW6600 W which means it's got wireless uh, HDMI. Okay, interesting. Oh, that's clever. Not really set up and used it yet, but looks clever. Uh, Steve, you've looked at one with this technology before, so I take it it works. Yeah, yeah. I've um, done quite a few, actually, if they're uh, the three-chip LCD. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Epson makes solid projectors. Um, good performers. They've got uh, good calibration controls on them. Um, you need a bit of tweaking out of the box to get them to look uh, accurate. But, Bloody uh, hell, that's but an understatement. <laughs> but uh, they can deliver very good pictures. The 3D on them is quite, quite good as well. Yeah, well, um, I've got to say, there's a pair of glasses there, which is unusual nowadays, because nowadays they don't bother sending glasses with these projectors. So there are 3D glasses there. Uh, there is this box that does the HDMI um, via Wi-Fi, mm, which yeah. uh, has got five inputs on it, which is really good for, for this level of projector. It's priced about 1,700 quid. It's a three LCD, out-of-the-box settings, absolutely abysmal. <laughs> Uh, you've got to switch everything off, basically. It comes with everything switched on. And uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what I was using to to warm it up. I think it was Captain Phillips. And um, it just looked it, it looked like there was a swarm of mosquitoes uh, on yeah. screen. It was so bad. All the sharpness controls turned, turned up to full whack. Uh, but once I switched everything off and set it up to soak in, because um, I like to get quite a few a few hours on the bulb before I, I do any testing looked really really nice uh, once everything was switched off and, and tamed down and um, out of the box wise because let's face it I don't think people are going to calibrate this level of projector unless they have the gear and they can do it themselves they're not going to hire somebody like you Steve who charges an absolute fortune uh, to come around and calibrate on, on such a, a, a lowly projector um, but in terms of out of the box which is what you, you've then got to base it on uh, once you switch everything off and put it into cinema mode and uh, did a few out of the box settings, a couple of test patterns up for brightness and contrast as well. And it it looked for six hundred quid. It looked really nice on a hundred and ten inch scope screen. Um, looked really really nice. Well, you can't say fair on that then, can you? Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to sitting down and actually testing. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. It's, like I say, I, I put it on for a few hours to kind of soak the bulb in and put a few hours on that um, because they're usually very very bright out of the box and you want to try and, and get at least 10 to 20 hours I'm not, I'm not sure what you aim at yeah, Steve but about 20 hours I can yeah 10 or 20 hours um, and if it's if it's a high end machine I sometimes try and put about 50 onto, the, onto it and see um, how it holds up 
between 50 and 100 on some of them uh, if they're known to have issues of bulb dimming and so on I will just leave it on 24 hours a day and I haven't done that with the episode. so looking forward to reviewing that um, and that kind of bring, brings us on to a question we're, we're both reviewing um, what we'd call budget projectors Steve and certainly it's it seems to be the only part of the projector market that still seems to have some margin in it for manufacturers because there seems to be lots of models come out in the price point of about 500 quid up to about 2,000 pounds. Now, the problem there is that there's a lots of variance in terms of quality and, and some of them that you see are just plastic with plastic lenses and a bulb and yes, you could probably play some games on it because it's not, you know, image accuracy is not the the highest uh, priority and so on. So you can go from anything from that to the latest Sony entry-level model, which is based on an award winner um, and, and is under two grand. Yeah, I mean, um, when you start looking at this at the cheaper in the projector market, you get a lot of what I would call data-grade projectors, you know, manufacturers who make projectors for presentations and schools and that kind of thing, businesses, where the idea is it's it's got a, it's bright. It's bright and, and you can project a large image and it's that's the main criteria for these projectors. Um, and those don't, obviously don't necessarily make particularly good home cinema projectors. So if you're buying a projector for watching movies, particularly maybe for gaming and, and TV as well, but definitely if you're buying one for watching movies, you want to try and get a projector that's you know, going to deliver a degree of colour accuracy and some half-decent blacks, because otherwise, you know, I think you're going to be missing out on the, on, the, on the potential of a big screen experience. What defines a what, what what how would we define a, a budget projector? My definition would be anything below about three grand. I mean, most people think, well, that's really expensive. But when you consider how expensive projectors can get, um, I think three grand and less is sort of the budget-ish range. As Phil's just pointed out, you know, there isn't a lot going on right now in the projector market. You know, um, there's quite a lot going on in the sort of two grand, even the grand and below market. The, the sort of mid-range, f- three to five grand currently. Um, there's well, JVC's X five hundred. They're still making it, and um, the new Sony that was announced at IFA a few weeks ago, the VW three hundred, which will be five thousand five hundred quid for a four K projector, which is quite interesting. But uh, you know, and above that, you've got you haven't got much either. You've got the VW five hundred, and um, and then you're sort of into the rarefied atmosphere of SIM twos and that kind of thing. But even they've been incredibly quiet recently. So really, all the action is going on in the much in in the, in the budget end of the market. We've seen a lot of projectors uh, released in the last couple of years there from the likes of BenQ, from Epson, from Optoma, so two of the names we mentioned earlier in this podcast, and Sony. Um, if you get to sort of the below a thousand pound bracket, it's very much dominated by single chip DLP. Um, so there you're looking at people like BenQ, Vivitec, Optoma, that they all they all do single chip DLP. Um, and you can get some pretty good, I mean, I've viewed quite a few BenQs of late. And they've got a couple there, um, W7, W1070 and W1080, um, single-chip DLP projectors, uh, 800, 700 pound price bracket, not too bad. Uh, good performance, bright, reasonably accurate uh, color performance. Um, they've got some calibration controls in there. Um, motion handling's great. Blacks aren't fantastic, but quite often with these kind of jets, people are using them in the rooms that aren't dedicated rooms, so they'll have light color walls, so it's not so much of an issue. Well, this is what we're going to come on to because... If you're spending that that type of money, the last thing I'm then going to tell people is, and no offence, Steve, is to go and hire a calibrator, um, or to go and buy a dedicated screen. Uh, if you if you're spending a thousand pounds or under, there's no much point in doing that. 
I don't think. I mean, really, I, no. I, I know some people that spend seven, eight thousand pounds on a projector and project it onto a white wall. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I would then say no, ten percent of that, twenty percent of the budget, spend it on a decent screen. But this type of, and and when you get to this type of level, I think this is where. Um, it gets a bit more mainstream and it becomes a bit more useful uh, for the everyday AV enthusiast because when you're talking about, uh, let's say, 1,500 quid and under, um, these are the types of machines where you can put them away in the cupboard and when there is a big event like the World Cup or the Olympics or um, the Scottish referendum vote or you know some big screen action that you want to watch, you can go and get the projector out the cupboard set it up, project it at, at the wall, and some of these projectors have speakers inbuilt, which I wouldn't recommend. Um, at, at least make the effort to try and have some kind of outboard sound system. But a couple, couple of stereo speakers or even a sound bar, TV sound coming through that, projecting through a projector on, uh, on a wall. For an event, a big event, I, I don't think you can go wrong. And, and as long as you're not getting silly and buying screens and calibrating them and all the rest of them, I think out of the box... You could get away with that. We've got an you day with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I, I think a lot of people would be interested in going that way, especially when it comes to games and some of the, the, the types of games out there where it is quite cinematic and, and a big screen with a little bit of surround sound could really add to, to the experience. Yeah, I think so. I think, obviously, the the biggest factor is still kind of this sense of a projector tends to dominate a room. I mean, the size that they are now, the size that you can get them, as you say, you can kind of put it away. It's not something that has to be a permanent feature. And if you're you're projecting on a wall, then you don't obviously have to line it up perfectly. You can just get it out and fire it at, so long as the walls are the right colour. Um, it definitely works for gaming, uh, where you don't need kind of perfect color fidelity you just need something that is bright enough to show the kind of more lurid colors and as long as it's got a a reasonable amount of contrast with say you know you're not in a totally light room but even then i know a lot of people who've used them during the day and the like who who you know don't don't have kind of blackout curtains or anything like that just so long as it's bright enough you can tell the image there then it's yeah it still adds something cinematic to it i guess this is a point steve um Forget about deep blacks. Forget about uh, you know impressive shadow detail because you ain't going to get them at this price point, whether you're in a bat cave or or in no. a light coloured room. So what you're looking for is uh, a projector that that it's plenty bright enough that's not overly lurid on the colours. At least you can get the colours looking natural. Um, a lot of these projectors, like you say, they come with some of them basic calibration controls, others with with really quite in depth. But as long as you shove it in the correct picture mode, basically follow our picture perfect. Uh, set up procedures yeah. we've designed it for tvs it works for projectors in exactly the same way um you could have quite a quite a nice system there with a nice hundred inch image on a white wall for the big events like i say you know um and some sound and and away you go and it seems like a no-brainer ed so why are the public not jumping on board with it um exposure to projectors on dem is somewhere between slim and none uh, it's a bit of a jump for something to buy online. I mean, don't get me wrong, if you've already bought a projector first time out, buying a replacement one online, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd at least want some level of proof of concept. And if you're just looking at it with a click-to-buy option, 
uh, may, maybe I'm just getting old and timid, but I'd be I'd be reticent. I think that's half the problem. Or, or just, just not drunk enough. Well, there is. Oh, come on, if I'm if I'm drunk, <laughs> Phil, I'll be on discogs buying records. I won't be looking at projectors. So that, that therein lies the other part of the problem. But um, yeah, it's. I think that's half of it, and I think there's also still uh, a belief that projectors are either something that you know you get bored to death with PowerPoint presentations in the office, um, or they're hulking great pieces of you know semi-pro equipment that you know you need to be a professional bodybuilder to move in and out of a cupboard. So that leaves people a bit sort of worried about how, you know, you, as you point out, some of these new ones are very, very easy to, to, you know, set up on a temporary basis. But I don't know if that's widely appreciated by the general public. Is this yeah. still a question about bulb life as well? Because it seems like the first fact that most people, when they look about, you know, the feasibility of, of a projector, Someone will tell you, well, you'll have to replace a bulb after X amount of hours, and that can be into the hundreds. But when when does it become a, a disposable item, though? You know, at what point price point does that for the public become a disposable item? Where, yeah, you. I mean, at the minute, uh, let's look at printers for an example, right? It's cheaper to go and buy a new printer than it is to go and buy printer ink because they're now such a disposable. They're, they're so flooded in the market, saturated in the market, it's, it's so disposable, it's easier to throw away your old one and buy a new one rather than go and buy some ink. So at what point, what price point does it does that happen with a projector where, yeah, it might only last a thousand hours, two thousand hours, but you can junk it and then go get another one. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think there's a lot of um, misinformation when it comes to projectors. You're absolutely right, Phil. If you buy a, a 600 quid single chip DLP projector, you're going to get a good 2,000 hours at least out of that in terms of bulb brightness. And you're not going to be using it every day. It's not something you're going to use to watch everything on. So 2,000 hours, that's easily a few years before you'd even have to consider uh, bulb brightness being an issue. And I'm sure after three or four or five years, you'll be more than happy to buy another projector at that price point. What you're getting in the meantime is you're getting the opportunity to we take it out every now and then. And they are very small and very light and very easy to set up. Um, you know, you just need a white wall that's reasonably flat to project onto it. So there's no space being taken up. It's no hassle. And when you see a reasonably well done big screen image projected onto a wall, there's nothing like it. Uh, and unfortunately, most people's experiences of projectors tend to be in a pub, which is not the best environment for a projected image to be done. Um, when they see you know, at home, you think a football match or um, a movie or even a game on a big screen, it's a really immersive experience. Um, and you know, people will spend an absolute fortune buying sixty-five inch TVs or seventy-five inch TVs. But you see, I think that's that's the other point that I, would, I wanted to make as well. And it's something that was, you know, it was rammed home to me sort of this week, where um, I've got this, this Epson in for review. I don't use my cinema room enough. I'm lucky enough to have one. I don't use it enough, and I only ever use it for watching films on a big screen. The biggest screen uh, TV that I have is fifty inches. That's fine for watching TV, for streaming Netflix watching the the odd thing, back catalogue thing, here and, there, here and there. When I want the big screen effect and I want to watch a movie the way it's supposed to be intended to be seen, I'll go and watch it on the projector. Now, I'm lucky to have a dedicated room, but there's nothing stopping anybody doing that in their living room. And it's just such an event. It just makes the film more enjoyable because it's not on your 65-inch TV or your 70-inch TV. It's 100 inches. But I think if you if you did that every day and watched six o'clock news at hundred inches, it, it become you become used to it, um, and then it doesn't have that impact anymore. So I, I think it's important 
to get that to get the impact to get the full effect from it you only watch films on it or play games on it at certain points or for certain things otherwise it's like your TVs you become used to a 50 inch TV very very quickly even though it it, it is big it is a big amount of real estate in your in your room even though they're flat screens they're still but then put a 65 inch in and the 50 looks tiny it makes sense well yeah I've had that experience with the 84 inch and my 50 inch looked like a portable when I put it back up again (laughs) Um, yeah I think you you know bang for buck you can't be a projector if you want a nice big image at a very realistic price you're not going to get you know a 100 inch TV for for 600 quid not even close Um, you know you're going to be spending 10, 20 grand on something that big um, get a projector in. You know, it's taking up no space whatsoever. It's dead easy to set up. And I'll tell you what, it'll probably look better as well because you haven't got to worry about backlight uniformity and that kind of stuff. I mean, these projectors are <laughs> relatively uniform. I'm not saying they're perfect. Obviously, the lenses are pretty cheap in these things given the price point. But, you know, the ones I've put up, and I've got, like you, Phil, got a big screen. I've got a 10-foot wide scope screen. And even these projectors, which aren't you know the biggest in the world and, and and quite cheap, they can still put up a very very good image onto those onto a big screen. So, yeah. you know, bang for buck, projectors the way to go. Yeah, obviously we're not talking about reference quality levels here. No, perfectly calibrated images and and all the rest. Of it you know that's for your more expensive projectors, dedicated rooms, or rooms that are made to for a projector. We're just talking about for for the money you can get these things, the performance that you can get for the money is it really is worth going and have a look at it if you've got any inkling whatsoever um having a big screen yeah. at home go and have a look at these things and uh, i think you'll be surprised if, if you haven't seen a projector for a number of years i think you will be surprised at, at the level of performance motion handling um colors are usually quite good just take it out of the out of the box settings put in something half decent and and the look half decent just don't expect you know, really bl- inky deep black levels and, and all the rest of it. You won't get that, but you will get an enjoyable image. And for stuff like sports and gaming, it's absolutely perfect. And the odd movie now and again, spot on. There you go. Useful consumer advice from the AV Forums podcast. Mm. For once. <laughs> Have you not been to the cinema, Steve? No, not this weekend. I wasn't well. All right. Okay. It's half an hour to fill. Yeah. Can you can you just monologue about your illness or something? Like <laughs> <Good. laughs> <Mark> Alan Bennett. <laughs> oh, I remember I had a nice cup of tea. Yeah. And then... well, we need to have our we need to have our scheduled pee break and <laughs> it's another year this week. I've already been. Right, games news is next. Right, Mark, games news. Oh, oh, that was the segue. Sorry. <laughs> I missed it. It was too slick for me, Phil. The, the, the clue was in the games news. Yeah. Bit, in fairness. There's usually a follow-up question, though, in fairness. Not really. Not this time. Fair enough. Um, yeah, not much really going on um, other than just today uh, the news came in that PlayStation Home is going to be shutting down. Um Sony of Japan had already announced back in August that it was their version in, in Asia was going to shut down for March 2015, but now it's going to be the same for the US and Europe. Um, it, it, it was one of Sony's kind of little experiments into social gaming. Um, started back in late 2008 on the PlayStation 3. It was really kind of emulating the 
the trend of the day, which was Second Life, and you had The Sims, and it, it seemed like this idea of creating little social spaces for people to congregate was going to be a good idea to try and tie in with networked consoles and the like. And so people created avatars and you got houses and furnished them and, and added clothes to your wardrobe. Um, the problem was it, it kind of stalled. Um, I can't see too many people mourning its loss. Um, it, it was basically an advertising space. There were various mini games. You could go to, say, like a, a, a movie theatre and see particular conferences and interviews things got streamed there it it was clunky in the early days i think a lot of people tried it um left fairly soon after it, it had a kind of small fairly dedicated community as virtually everything has um but it it never migrated to the ps4 and it seems to have just slowly kind of died away Q questions <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Well. I, I think I very briefly looked at it ages ago when I got my PS3, and it was one of those. I don't understand this. I'm assuming it's for youth, and then I just left left it. So uh, I dare say, if more people thought like me, then that, that that probably explains where it went. Yes, Ed, it's for the young people. Yeah, <laughs> I don't begrudge the young people having their things. That's fine. I've got my things. They've got their things. But you know, just don't expect me to understand it. No, well, it, it was it was kind of console's attempt to try and tap into social gaming. The, the one of the problems it has always been the fact that um, people on consoles you don't have most people don't just have a, a keyboard or a little kind of chat keyboard plugged in all the time. Um, not that many people on Sony consoles, even now on the PS4, bother with things like microphones. Um, so predominantly, it's it's a kind of turned into a group of avatars turning up, kind of pointing at things using chat gestures and the like and then people really asking what it was for um it had a, it had a few games but really there, there was no way to kind of tie it into launching into other games or, or to make the content that appealing that someone would bother to go in there you know they tried with bonus content so go in if you if you pre-ordered games through there then you could get various bonuses but ultimately it, it was as with most things, like with uh, MMOs going over to consoles, it just never really stuck. It seemed like it was almost an idea to see whether consoles were going to get the same ideas and, and the same crowds as the PCs, but it, ju it just never really happened, never really took off. Uh, and is that the game's news? That is the game's news. Right, so we move on to movie news, and uh, as we've already heard, uh, Steve didn't make it to the cinema um, this week. Uh, that poor cinema chain's going to go out of business. Uh, were you not turning up and watching 16 films in one day, Steve? Well, they don't uh, make any money out of me watching 16 films in one day. So. Do, you, do you not buy cinema snacks and other, other nastiness? Mm, I try not to, because that way I'm, I'm falling into their trap. Do you, do you, do you <laughs> smuggle your own in? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I've got, I got, I got, I got, got a sausage roll in my pocket or something like that. <laughs> That's what he told the police. <laughs> Don't buy it, kids. I occasionally buy a latte from the, from the counter. <laughs> I just, I just won't pay their extortionate prices for a bag of sweets. It's ridiculous. Well, that's fair enough, I suppose. But, and the hot dogs are un inedible. Um, oh god I can't massive. even begin to imagine buying hot food in the cinema no, I just, just, you, just look, you just look at the stuff and it's just like I mean you'd, you'd have to have been starved for some length of time 
before the Milton Keynes Sydney World nachos looks like a viable foodstuff, more so than, say, the cardboard container that they come in. That would be more nutritious, um, I suspect. No, I think they're about the same. Um, yeah. The only thing that looks even slightly uh, edible on a, on a sort of hot day would be maybe some of the Ben & Jerry's ice cream. That would be okay. But otherwise, it's just avoid it all out the plague, really. I hate Ben & Jerry's. Well, I don't Ben & Jerry's stuff tastes all right. I just hate the, we're such a small, friendly company. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Just another monstrous conglomerate turning out factories. Here we go. How long, how long have we got for this rant, then, <laughs> I don't know. That, that, Strap in. <laughs> I have to say, the, um, the you all go for non- piss now, lads, because he's going to be going for at least ten minutes. On a non-ranty set, one thing that, that you can uh, you can buy those um, Maynard sours, sour kids things. Yeah, they look like jelly beans, but they're covered. They're, I think they're dusted with crack because they are quite Moorish. Um, they're really nice. That's normally my my cinema go to thing. If I'm going to buy anything there. I like to buy a bag of retro sweets with things like blackjacks in them and um, fruit cocktails and the kind of things we used to get when we were kids for half a pea. It doesn't cost half a pea anymore, obviously. But uh, I always buy popcorn and I always forget just how horrible it is. You see, I, I've, I've never forgotten, you know. It's, it's one of those things where, but basically, if I suddenly needed packaging to send, send, send a review product back, you know, <laughs> quite legitimate as a, as a substance for that. But I would, I'd never risk eating the bloody stuff. Well, no, no, I used it as an uh, alternative snack cause, uh, at home when I'm watching movies because there isn't anything in it. It's just popped corn um, as opposed to me you know, having a Mars bar or something like that, which is quite more fattening. So I do remember I had wasabi. So you have your popcorn, but absolutely nang on it. Again, what? so it's like eating polystyrene chips. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's just, it is like eating <sighs> polystyrene, but at least, you know, it's not, I'm not gaining any weight. <laughs> it's filling you up with nothing. <laughs> Excellent. You, you know how to live with us. And <laughs> I need to eat, but I can't gain weight. Let's just eat this bland anodyne stuff. I remember having wasabi popcorn a couple of years ago. That was good stuff. Um, <laughs> came came with came with a bit of a good kick to it, but I have no idea how one would go about making that in in, in a domestic sense. Unfortunately, our chef's not here on his podcast. Going to say sounds like a question for Hodge. <laughs> But, uh, anyway, yeah. so in answer to the question half an hour ago, no, I didn't get a chance to go to the cinema this week. <laughs> <laughs> but we can happily talk about the Blu-rays that are out this week. Oh, somebody has to stick to run running order, eh? Okay, so we have A Million Ways to Die in the West, The Devil's Not, 24, Live Another Day, and Dracula, 1979. A Million Ways to Die in the West is the new film from um, Seth MacFarlane, a live action, follow-up to Ted. Um, not as successful as Ted has to be said. Didn't do very well at the box office because basically it wasn't as funny as it should have been. Um, Ted, I think, is genuinely funny. A million, days to die, a million ways to die in the West um, is funny in places, not consistently so. You just felt like I expected more from McFarlane, frankly. There were too many easy gags and too many gags that just didn't work. Um, and I don't think he should have cast himself in the lead. I think that was probably some um, a, a big. You know, he had a nasty case of hubris on that one. I think so. Uh, he hasn't done that very well. He's now is that like shingles? <laughs> well, hubris. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. Okay, fine. Uh, he's now busy making Ted too, because clearly he's going back to that particular well. Um, and, and I think everyone likes talking teddy bear, so that swears a lot. So uh, he'll do better on that. But uh, yeah, this has been a bit of a failure for him. Uh, Devil's Devil's Not is the new film from um, what's his name, Adam McGoyan. Uh, I actually saw it months ago on Netflix. Uh, where it's available on Netflix US. Um, it came out much later in the UK at the cinema and has just come out, comes out on Blu-ray this next week. 
Um, I, I saw it, like I said, and um, it's an interesting film. It deals with a, a, a natural case, a natural murder case, and what many people believe to be a miscarriage of justice, including even the mother of one of the victims. And it, but it doesn't have a conclusion. You know, it kind of addresses the case, shows you the, the evidence and what happened and where they think the real who they think the real killers are. But um, there is no actual conclusion to the film. But I thought it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's got some good performances from people like Colin Firth and Reese Witherspoon. 24 Live Another Day is the new series of 24. It was on um, Sky very recently, back in the summer. Uh, more Jack Bauer, more tortures, more shootings, more terrorists. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, if you like a bit of Jack action, you won't go wrong. And Dracula 1979 version with Frank Langer, directed by Frank, um, not Frank, sorry, John Badham. That uh, that Blu-ray comes out next week. The review is already up by um, by Chris. Um, he's a bit of a fan of the movie. I, I've got to say, I do enjoy the film. It's, it's one of the better adaptations, I think. Uh, Langella is very good as Dracula. Uh, you know, it's it's um, it's based upon the stage play, but it's pretty faithful to the book. And um, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, and Tony Chris, I think, is one of his favourites uh, uh, Dracula movies. How long is the the running time of that movie? Uh, well, it'll be shorter to watch the movie than read Chris's review. If that's what you're <laughs> getting at. <laughs> one for the fans, I think. <laughs> what the review or the film? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let the audience decide. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, certainly, um, if you are a fan of that particular film, worth checking out. Okay, Shawshank Redemption was the film uh, we quoted from right at the beginning of the podcast. It's now 20 years old and uh, has become a bit of a, a loved classic. However, we all know that when it was first released, it bombed. Um, and it's only since it came onto the the home formats and word of mouth and and so on that it actually became really quite a popular movie. So, what other films have been failures when they were originally released, uh, but have since gone on to become classics? And I'll kick things off with uh, the one that everybody thinks it was a major major hit when it first came out, and that was The Wizard of Oz, and it tanked. Yep, that's true. It's um, I think a lot of films. And the Wizard of Oz is a good example. Uh, have become successful or popular through continuous repeat view screenings on on TV at Christmas, and this is definitely the the granddaddy of them all, isn't it? In terms of uh, gaining a popularity through initially, I think TV screenings, yeah. uh, seasonal TV screenings, and then obviously home video. But uh, it was a failure when it came out. It didn't do very well at all. I mean, admittedly, it came out in what I can only describe as a really busy year. Nineteen thirty nine was a year of so many great movies that somehow it got lost in the lost in the mix, but um, that it, it, it wasn't a success. Uh, and now, of course, you know, everyone, you think massive classics, have had numerous reissues, hugely successful on home videos, just had a, literally in the last couple of months, had uh, a 3D reissue in this country, um, you know, with people flocking to see it. And, and I do like the film, I think it's great, but you're right, Phil, it did not do very well when it came out. I love the, uh, the there is the uh, synopsis, the alternative synopsis. For this oh, yeah. film and it is hilarious I don't know if you've seen it but really really funny go search it out it's on the internet people we're not going to spoil it for you uh, so that's one um, there were others around about the same kind of time um, what's the one at Christmas I keep forgetting the name it's of it it's a wonderful life that's the one because I mean that, that, that became the cult classic through an accident of licensing um, I wasn't cutting you off on this This is. were you about to say this or is this something hey, Ed knock us out right well it, it's a wonderful life became synonymous with Christmas because for whatever reason it fell through the gaps in the licensing agreement with television studios and it was missed off the list 
of ones that they had to pay an extra license fee for to, to show on television. So it was essentially free for them to use. So they would wheel it out every Christmas without fail because it cost them nothing to do. And I, I, if you show something every Christmas for 35 years, um, it sort of becomes synonymous with, with that event. But uh, as I understand it, at the cinema, it was a, a bit of a non-starter. It, it, it is when you actually take stock and view it objectively. It's a, it's a very weird it, it, it doesn't necessarily always sit happily as a sort of family Christmas film. It's got a bloke trying to top himself mm-hmm. when it boils down to it. You know, yeah, you're right. So it takes place at Christmas, but it's not. Uh, it is a dark film. It goes to some very dark places. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great film. It, it, it's just, um, yeah, it did. It didn't do well at the time. It's obviously never made its makers any money if they've been playing it for free on Christmas for the last <laughs> seventy years. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but Christmas yeah. films aren't necessarily synonymous with light. I no, mean, you know, Christmas Carol isn't exactly the lightest story. Yeah. Well, there's an element of redemption to it, though, isn't there? But it's so in, in a, It's a Wonderful Life as well. Mm. And, and then he got Die Hard. Yeah, well, exactly. Die Hard 2 is the best Christmas film ever made. We need to be clear about this. Die Hard it's, 2? Yes. What? Not Die Hard. No, Die Hard 2. Why is Die Hard 2 the best Christmas film ever made? Because well, it's got Christmas. snow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and that's a key ingredient to any Christmas film. It just, <laughs> it, and also for whatever reason, it just shows up more. And, and it's also it's set at Christmas. Oh, so is Die Hard. So well, is it yeah, but it's on Christmas sunny, Eve, sunny California. It just doesn't look right, does it? It and also for whatever reason, it just gets shown by British television channels more often at Christmas than the original Die Hard. Possibly because it costs them less. It is. Whilst being one of the greatest, the greatest Christmas film ever made, it's also perhaps the well until the last Die Hard came along, it was the weakest of the the four. But that the fifth one is is a, is a is a is a pile of ordure that just needs to be sort of dealt with sec- secondary to the, the the first four, and even the fourth is is a bit odd. But in terms of it's got strange baddies, even by the standards of Die Hard. Anyone with a the Die Hard films, anyone with a rudimentary understanding of geography will realise that closing down Dulles Airport isn't too much of a problem because there's like five others within a radius of ten miles. But you know that's yeah. That's You're telling far. me it's not true. I'm telling you that the, I'm telling you that even by the fantastical standards of a fire sale shutting down North America, Die Hard Two's got some very specific problems all of its own. But they don't shut down Dulles, aren't they? Controlling the aircraft from Dallas that so that well yes but in, in sense that you could divert everything else away you know keep yeah, who, because the tower was in the control of their planes was it they'd taken over control yeah of but they, so could they, have sent, they, they could have kept two or they could have kept kept their, their their hostages in hand by like one or two planes but everything else could just sod it off or put it like this when they reach their critical fuel state plane air, airliners as i understand it do not necessarily need clearance on the tower to go to their alternate so they'd have just no. sodded off to their alternate which was about two minutes away has someone seen too much air crash investigations or whatever Maybe. it's called? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's, that's you know, I, I still think it's a great, it's a great Christmas film. Uh, right, so some others which uh, we think has been popular but actually tanked. And uh, this next one um, was an epic, uh, and I think it was more, it cost more that much to make, it was never going to make a profit, and that's Cleopatra. Yeah, that one was, I mean, even if it had been the most successful film of all time, it was probably going to struggle to make any money. It did, did, actually didn't do that. I mean, I think it's a bit of a misnomer. People think that Cleopatra bombed, 
but actually it was quite successful. It's just unfortunately it cost so much to make, and it forty million it cost in nineteen sixty when forty million was a lot of money. Uh, that's equivalent to like sort of two three. Although bizarrely, it's it's equivalent to like two hundred and fifty million now, which is how much a big budget tentpole movie does cost. So that gives you an idea of how much inflation has been in film production over the last few years. Um, that, that now films cost as much as Cleopatra, but people aren't, you know, betting the farm on it. The problem with when Cleopatra came out was it, it was the only film Fox had in production, and uh, they were like, it was it was going to destroy the entire studio if it hadn't at least made some of its money back, which it did ultimately do. A, a film you've always mentioned, Phil, which I agree with, and another Christmas movie is uh, Notting, uh, not Notting Hill, sorry, is Love Actually. Yeah. Which again was not well received when it came out. Didn't do particularly well at the box office, but has become a bit of a, a favourite over the last ten it years. It wasn't well received because it's not very good. <laughs> uh, let's be very clear about this. The, 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 this isn't a you know un, un you know overlooked classic. It's not a desperately good film, but there's just enough Richard Curtis in it to mean that people like my dad, you know, after he's got a reasonable quantity of alcohol in him, will just quite happily sort of sit there and let it happen <laughs> to him. And he and millions of others have ensured that it's made its money back. I've got to say, it's a guilty pleasure. I actually do like it. I hated it when I first came out. I did not, uh, but now I've got to say... The mind boggles, because you watch it sober. I, could, I couldn't do that. Ed, my life is sober. I know it is, but even so, you know, don't you just doesn't part of your brain start itching for some sort of, like, chemical cough after about 20 minutes of it? Or am I just revealing that my psyche is seriously shot <laughs> to bits? <laughs> I've got, it's a guilty pleasure. It's not just my, one of my guilty pleasures. Steve, you've admitted to liking it. so mm, Yeah, no, it's grown on me over the years. I didn't like it when I first saw it, but it's grown on me over the years. Same goes for a film I mentioned earlier on at the beginning of the podcast, um, Danny Boyle's Sunshine, which I saw at the cinema and thought, what a load of cobblers. And then um, over the years, I've actually realised it is not quite as much cobblers as I thought it was, um, particularly after listening to the commentary track on the Blu-ray with Professor Brian Cox. Um, who was the advisor on the film, uh, explaining some of the science behind it, and then you kind of appreciate appreciate the film a little more. It's still not perfect, but um, it has grown on me. It made my wife else. so angry she she stormed out of the cinema <laughs> um, because it doesn't deal with the uh, unless you're about to 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 to, to explain something magical. Uh, it doesn't fully explain how the ships pass through the corona, which is like monstrously hotter than the sun itself. Yeah, I think that's Ed, science fiction. Ed, yeah, it's, it's the movies. Well, yeah, but don't talk to me about, oh, we put some scientific thought into it when you didn't deal with <laughs> the biggest problem of the whole moronic concept of going to the sun. You might as well say, well, we're sending him at night. It will be fine. I'll give you a few more. Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. Um, that was a that was a Well, that's because the, the, the actual cinematic original cut is incomprehensible. Well, it's not incomprehensible, but it did, it did suffer from, I think, not being what people expected to be, i.e. an action-packed Sarah Harrison Ford movie. Citizen Kane was a huge bomb on its yeah. initial release. How um, much How much did The Usual Suspects make at the cinema? Do you know? That was, that was quite successful. It was success- for, for the budget, it was successful. I think it was only about eight or nine million. It was, it was a shoestring. Yeah, yeah, it was mainly Actually, I saw that at the cinema by accident, and I'm trying. I can't remember what the, fi- what the <laughs> you film. You fell in. <laughs> to the well, well, no, actually, we went to the cinema, and the film we wanted to see, which was being shown on six of the seven screens, was sold out on six of the seven screens. And there was only this film that I'd never heard of playing on the other screen, and we decided, all right, we'll go and see that. And I don't think I've ever come out of the cinema like that ever before with the people I was with. And. It, it, we used to have to travel 60 miles to the cinema 
this is when I lived in Scotland. So, you know, to go to the cinema was a bit of an event. And that, that drive back home from the cinema, I can't remember any because we were talking so much about that movie. Absolutely loved it. And I, I knew nothing about it going in. And I've tried not to talk about it ever since because I think as soon as you know what the twist is, it, it the film just doesn't stand up. But if you go into it cold and you don't know what, what it's all about, it is really, really, really well done. Yeah, it might bomb now, but one day people may look back and see just what a classic the AV Forums podcast really is. And that's it for another week. My thanks to Steve Withers. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Mark right? I don't belong here. <laughs> well, actually you don't, because on the running order it says Mark Hodgkins. <laughs> At least I didn't go into character like Steve. <laughs> what was that, method acting? Did you black up as well or something? <laughs> Christ almighty. And Ed Selly. I had your mother. She wasn't that great. <laughs> Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Bookmark avforums.com for latest reviews, news and video. Plus, why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs>